0: So our sermon text for this morning comes from Genesis chapter one, verses one through three. Our series that we're going to get into here, um, as we start out, is just called I'm calling it the meta narrative. And I've done a few Bible studies uh, with with groups in the church here going through this topic. But we're going to, since I have the liberty to be up here for a few weeks, we're going to go into maybe a little more depth. I did six weeks on it, then I did I think four and and. A adult sunday school or what is that called i'm not sure uh boomers boomer how can i forget the boomers such catchy names uh the boomers course uh we did we did it in four weeks but so we're going to take probably 10 weeks to kind of go through this big arching uh, view of scripture called the i come calling it the meta-narrative you could call it redemptive history something along those lines the drama of redemption just going through what is this book about And so it's nothing, I don't intend on making any sort of new revelation. If you're here because you want to get the freshest, hottest, latest word straight from God, well, in one sense, we're going to read the Bible, so you're going to get that. But in another sense, I have a pretty firm belief in that what's really old is usually really good, that we want to try to discover again and remember orthodox christianity here is what christians have believed we want to join the the saints for thousands of years and what they have believed what this book has written to them and we want to join them in affirm, in affirming what they affirmed and what they held to and what they believed so that's enough of my intro we're going to I'll get more but let's read the text here genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 and then we're going to jump over to Uh, verse 26 so genesis chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the water the face of the waters and god said let there be light and there was light and god saw that the light was good God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Over to verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. And every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them and on the seventh day, God finished his work, so that he, work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Quick prayer. Father, we ask this morning, just again, as we open up your word and, and try to mine what is there for us in revealing us to, to you about who you are. What kind of a God you are. God, give us eyes to see. We pray for your Holy Spirit that it would illuminate to us the truth of who you are, that we might be humble before you, that we might be repentant before you, that we might be trusting in you, that we might rejoice in who you are and who you are for us. Have your way in our hearts, we pray this morning in Christ's name. Amen. So when we talk about the meta narrative, really, it's not that big of a deal. Every everyone lives by a meta narrative, a worldview, is a way you could talk about it. Everyone lives by some sort of a worldview. You have some story with which you you orchestrate or organize or understand your life. It has various elements. I was born here. These are my parents. This is my lineage. I had joked in the boomers class that, you know, I'm bohemian, and so I could go, I could try to trace my worldview back to Czechoslovakia, which doesn't even exist, the Czech Republic. I could trace all sorts of, this is my history, so this is who I am, and we came over and settled, and Diagonal's got all our name all over it, and all this stuff, and then, but I'm also the son of Cecil and Becky, and so that... Frames my narrative and I also, I work for the post office and I have a, a wife and a two kids, Joel and Jana, who are sitting over here. I've, and I've got all of these elements of my life. We can throw in hobbies. Um, I like to, I, this is so, I like to study theology as a hobby. That's uh, what I like to do. I, uh, I ride a bike uh, to work. Um, because I like that, and I mean, we could all we could have all sorts of things. I like I would say I like to work with wood, and I do like to build furniture. But my life has become so crazy that I haven't built a piece of furniture in I don't know, like ten years or something. But but I would like to do that. So we have all these things that we say, and you could do this as well, right? And and not only that, we have where we came from, we have what we are doing, and then we have where we're going. We have ideas about this is where I want to end up. This is the kind of person that I want to be. This is what's important to me. And all of these things go into building our worldview or our narrative, the way that we see life, the way that we see how we fit into life, what that means for us by this narrative. And so what we're trying to do in this series is come to understand what does God say the story is all about? What is the story all about? What is, where really do we come from? What is going on here? What is God doing in all of this? Where are we going? So there's four main acts in, uh, the meta narrative, in the drama of redemption, in redemptive history, however you want to call it. There are four main acts. And this is what you're, this is the big thing you're going to want to remember. The four things are creation, fall, redemption, and consummation or recreation. So it's creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, recreation, restoration. We're going to give it lots of names. But those are the four main acts, the arc of redemptive history, the meta narrative of what God is doing. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. So this morning we are looking at creation, the first act of, of Redemptive history. Probably this week will be, uh, what creation means, uh, says about God. And then next week we're going to talk about what creation says about the creature. What creation says about the creator is this week, and what creation says about the creature is going to be next week. But when we talk about worldview, something interesting has happened in our postmodern world. And if you've ever taken philosophy 101 or anything like that, you've studied Rene Descartes, right? cartesian philosophy and if you don't know you think what is that oh and so by the way yeah sometimes i throw out big words i got called on it this morning already by nida and one of my words in the newsletter my wife had pointed it out to me too I, I apologize. I will throw out big words. I might know what they mean when I use them, okay? It's okay It's okay to say I make up words. I, maybe I do sometimes. But call me on it. I love to be called on it. That's fine, okay? So that, let me get that out of the way. I don't, I don't mind it. Call me on it. But uh, what was I even saying? Now I've lost my train of thought. This is what happens. So, Descartes, the Cartesian philosophy. You probably, if you don't know that, you know the axiom that he came up with, which says... I think, therefore, I am. I think, therefore, I am. And he builds this whole construct of worldview off of I think, therefore, I am. The problem is, and what we want to... How that conflicts with the biblical worldview is that who it puts at the center of the narrative is I. I think, therefore, I am. And if you've read your Bible very much... We get a little nervous when we start using phrases like I am because that's God's self-declaration of who he is to Moses. And when we start going around saying too much I ams, so we kind of as a biblical reader, you kind of okay, let's let's take a step back. That we've got to be careful in our in our world today, everyone is putting themselves at the center of their narrative. I think Therefore, I am. We have a, a postmodern worldview which is utterly subjective that everything gets its meaning from me. Everything gets its meaning from me. Everything that's going on is, is, is subject to my interpretation and how I feel and how I think about it. I think, therefore I am and therefore everything else exists because I think and I, therefore I am. The biblical worldview the meta narrative comes in with creation, a totally different central character. God comes to us not when when you have yourself at the center of the narrative. God comes to you as an object to be evaluated. God shows up and we sit back and we say, "Okay, God, I like this about him. I don't like this about him. I wish he shouldn't have done this. I I, I would have done it this way." And we we regard God as an object to be evaluated instead of as a creator. Who made us. Contrasting narratives that we have. With our world today. And the biblical narrative. God is not an object to be evaluated. He is the creator. Who made us. The narrative does not center. I apologize if this hurts your, your uh, self-esteem feelings. You, the narrative does not center around you. It centers around the creator. It centers around the God. Who made us. And everything else so those are the four main acts so much could be said genesis 1 and 2 is where we get the bulk of the content about what happened at creation right to go home and read them they are amazing accounts of what god has done in creating the world um but there's two big ideas we could go on forever i mean we could there's so much debate about what's going on in creation There's so much debate about what God is doing here and and interpretations about what happens in chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. Are these seven literal days? Are they day ages? Is there a gap theory? Is there, what is God doing and all, and you don't care maybe about any of those things and that's fine. I want to talk about big picture realities, about what this says to us about God. There There are differing viewpoints about how this happens that I think fall into biblical Christianity. But, one thing I want to say is that what is so popular in our world today, the idea of evolution, we do not find in our scripture. We find God as creator. We find God as specifically involved in taking something, taking nothing and making everything. Taking nothing and making everything. So what we don't like to admit sometimes is that there's ambiguity here in the issue of creation. It, There's poetry, and there's both poetry and history here. There's poetry in this rhythm of God said, and it was, and he saw that it was good, evening and morning, the first day. There's some poetry that's involved there that that has some poetic language to it, but that that doesn't mean there's not history there as well. And sometimes we want to say, oh, it's just poetry, there's no history. And some people want to say, there's no poetry, it's just history. And the reality is they're kind of mixed in there together. The big idea is that God is creator. And what I want to get through this morning in my remainder of my time is just two main things. What this says to us about God as creator is that God is transcending and God is descending. See how those work together? Transcending and descending. God is a transcending God and yet also God is a descending God. He he exists over it all and yet is a God who is involved in it all. God is over it all. That's what I mean by transcending. Something is transcendent. It's, It's over. It's higher. It's bigger. It's outside of. God is transcendent over all of this thing. When Genesis 1 starts, I mean, we could take forever just exegeting this. In the beginning, God... The Bible doesn't come to us with a bunch of arguments about God's existence. I like those arguments. They're fun to have. Apologetics, the teleological argument, all sorts of things. There's a big word, sorry. Uh, All sorts of things you could talk about and proving the existence of God. The Bible doesn't waste time with that. The Bible just declares it so. In the beginning, God. God is transcendent. He's before all things. In fact, when we talk about where, did, where is God when it all began, God is so infinite and big that when everything began, God was already there. He's, he's past tense in the beginning of everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is outside. He is a transcending God. In stark contrast to our subjective world, The scripture comes and tells us of a totally objective and big, outside of it all, God. One who is above and over and behind it all, transcendent. This is so crucial for our understanding of the world today. Transcendent reality. Objective reality. As our culture basically flushes itself down the toilet by attempting to affirm that that you are who you subjectively feel you are, we we desperately need voices of a biblical worldview that says, no, there's something bigger than any of us. There's something transcending. There's something with objective reality. And that is the ultimate reality. Not you, not your opinions, not your view, not your thoughts. They're all fine and we're glad to hear them. But at the end of the day, in the beginning, God. He's a transcending God. He has Ultimate autonomy and authority. So underneath transcending, God has autonomy and authority. God is autonomous. He doesn't need anyone. doesn't need anything. God is autonomous. Uh, Fancy term, Latin ex nihilo. God creates everything out of nothing. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. The philosophy nihilism comes out, or nihilism comes out of this term, nothingness. God creates everything out of nothing. God is totally autonomous. He does not need anything. God is totally satisfied and happy in Himself. God is, at Paul arguing at uh, the Areopagus, Mars Hill in the book of Acts, says that God is not to be served by human hands as if He needed anything. That's Acts 17. Verses 24-25, God's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. God is autonomous. We have a problem with this, most of us, and some of us more than others. But you all know of people who really their whole goal in life is to get you in their debt that they want to make sure that they get the upper hand so that when they meet you or when they're around you, they have the upper hand. I've done this favor for you. Therefore, you are now obligated to, I don't know, be nice to me or be decent to me. And it comes out sometimes when somebody isn't nice to you and they say, well, how dare that person, this is what I've done for them. How dare they be this way to me? We we don't like the idea of autonomy. And some some more than others. We want to put people in our debt because it gives us power over them. We live in a world that wants to put God in our debt somehow. As though we can obligate Him to be a certain way with us. But God is autonomous. does not need us. He's outside of us. He's a transcending God who is autonomous. He's also a God who is, has autonomy and He has authority. Because God made it all, He does what He wants to with it. We, he does as He pleases. There's a, we got a book for Joel called The Bible's Big Story, and the opening line of it is just so catchy, I, I've got it memorized that it says, God created all that is, therefore all that is, is His. Not complicated, but it's a pretty profound statement. God created all that is, therefore all that is, is His. God, as a transcending God, has autonomy and He has authority. Because He made it, He gets to say, this is the way it is. This is how it should be. Psalm 115 says, God is in that, Psalm 115 verse 3. My God, God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. God has autonomy and he has authority. So, moving along. God is a trans, what we see in the creation act about the creator is that he is a transcending God, but he also is a descending God. He is a God who's come down. He's a God who meets with his people. We sometimes put these things at war with each other. Some people try to say, God's so transcending that he has nothing to do with us anymore. Deism is one of these uh, ideas that God started everything and just kind of let it go. And he's, tr- he's totally transcendent, totally other. We can't really understand God. He's too transcendent. And they've got just a transcending view of God. But then there's some on the other side that just have a descending view of God, that God is just with us, have no idea of objective reality. Open theism is a kind of a modern new thing where that teaches that God actually learns along with us. God doesn't know what's going to happen. He learns along with us. We want to have both of these things. God is a transcending, above it all God. He's also a descending God. He comes to be with us. We see this in Genesis 1, verse 28. Just so clear, I mean, God creates Adam and Eve. God blesses them. And God said, God said, "God, outside of it all, autonomous, when with authority, creates and then He descends to commune with His creation. God is a transcending God, He is a descending God. We desperately need God to be a descending God. If God does not come down to meet with us, how would we ever know of Him? How would we know what He has done? How would we know what happened in the world, which we're going to get to when the fall happens? How would we know if God were not to be a descending God? Three ways God descends to meet with us. Theologically, we talk about general revelation, special revelation. We'll go through them quickly, I promise. God is a descending God, speaks to us through general revelation. This is just nature. We see the, we see beauty. We see, we, we, we comprehend things like love and friendship. We see uh, science is a common grace that they're able to take uh, your body and do so amazing things and go in through your leg and fix your heart with a little plastic valve. It's amazing. That's, that's common grace. That's general revelation. God has given us brains that can think. General revelation. But also, God descends by giving us special revelation. God has spoken to us. And the way that He has done this is through Scripture. The Bible is special revelation. The 66 books of the Bible that inspired, that chosen men were inspired by God to write down for us to read is God descending that He would speak to us. You want to hear it said, it's kind of a joke, but it's say, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. And then they say, if you want to hear God speak, okay, fine. You want to hear God speak out loud? You want to hear His voice? Read the Bible aloud. That's how we hear God. He specially has revealed Himself in this word. But thirdly, God has descended in Jesus Christ. God as a transcending God, as a descending God. When we get to the fall, the world becomes broken. And we need something to happen. But God does not stay a transcending God. God enters creation Himself in the third person uh, or the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus Christ, descends. Philippians says, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbling self, he became took on the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians chapter 2, uh, 11, or something around in there. He's a descending God. He descends to pay the price for our sinfulness, which we get to in the fall. We become estranged from this Creator. We have no way to get back to Him. He's autonomous. He doesn't need us. He could have left us after the point of the fall, but He doesn't do that. He becomes a descending God who comes to meet with us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God Himself descends, lives the righteous life we all should have lived, dies the death that we deserve on the cross, suffering our wrath, through that, so that through repentance and faith, we could be reconciled to this transcending, full of authority, autonomous God by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. God, the transcending God, God, the descending God, to come and reconcile His people back to Himself. Where does this leave us? Well, If the idea of an autonomous, authoritative, transcendent God is your struggle, go to Him with that. Go to God with that. Confess your doubt. Confess your struggle. Wrestle with God over this. Confess your sin of subjective self-centeredness. To put yourself at the center of the narrative is to, in in a way, dethrone God Himself. Repent. Confess your sin. And look to Christ. There is forgiveness of sin. In the one who repents and trusts in Christ shed blood. We come to communion as a result of this. Confessing we are not the center of the story. God is. We repent and we receive forgiveness at the communion table by faith. And this is a manifestation or representation of it. If God descending to come down to you is a struggle, look to the communion table again. He has come down. He desires to be with you. Though He be as a transcending God... He desires to descend to be with you. Transcending God and a descending God reconciled back to us through the work of Jesus Christ. This is what creation tells us about our Creator. Let's pray. Father, as we just talk about maybe some big things, not new things, but, but big things, God, give us eyes to see. I want to worship you for who you are. I want to rejoice in you for who you have shown yourself to be. Not not the creation of my own imagination, but who you have shown yourself to be. Give us eyes to see this and hearts that rejoice in it this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.